0: Church family, I need you all to do a little bit better than that. Good morning, church. There she is. Good. I know that acoustic worship said, man, just kind of lulls you into like a worshipful lullaby, doesn't it? And so I need you to act like that didn't just happen and then interact with me during the sermon. Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. And I preached long in the first sermon, so I can definitely preach long in the second sermon as well. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Good to be your teaching pastor. Uh, today. And so before we hit the text, though, let me just celebrate a couple things with you. If you've been at Heights for a while, the, the name Justin Dean is a name that you're fairly familiar with. He's one of my best friends. He's a pastor in the Quad Cities, which is where our family uh, is from. My in-laws are from in a church called Sacred City Church. And so uh, I had a, an awesome weekend, man. I went up uh, to the Quad Cities, hung out with my mom in law And um, hung out with Justin, and they have acquired a building. That's a big deal uh, for them because they were over 10 years, like, me meeting in a theater for a long time. And last year, I was like, bro, you you just need to, like, do a capital campaign and, like, get ready for whenever the day comes for y'all to get out of the their theater. Their church has been growing exponentially. And he was like, there's literally not a building for sale. And I was like, there wasn't one for sale for us either. But we still like started to like kind of store up some seed just in case the day came. And lo and behold, man, this man took an offering uh, last year. His church gave a hundred plus thousand dollars more than what he thought they were going to. And then two months later, a building came up off market for them. Well, they got to purchase that building, which is incredible. And then they move into that building and then two weeks, and so uh, super fun, super. I don't, I know you guys are not thrilled right now by this, but you should be. And so it's a big deal; it's awesome. And in that though, like check out Facebook, go to Sacred City Church, uh, and you can check out like what the building looks like and all that. It's an incredible reality. I share that because uh, one. They supported us, me specifically, like exponentially on the front end. And they gave financially to our church, uh, to me. They loved me, coached me, led me, helped me have an understanding of what heights could look like, a church-planting church uh, that they were. They equipped us, if you were there in the beginning, you know that, which then bred in us being a church-planting church. And so we then, in turn, uh, planted a church called Living Hope Church in Belleville. So many of you know Paul Fernandes. We got to plant Paul, in the same way, like we served him financially, that dude raised a ton of funds, but felt inadequate in light of his theological clarity. so then you guys, by your generous giving, paid for all this seminary education. He just sent us a video a few weeks we gave like ten plus thousand dollars to him what does that have to do with this? One, we won't always plan churches, but two, uh, in light of how God is moving, Pastor David is not here today because he's preaching at Living Hope Church in Belleville so that Paul can take his people uh, on a global missionary trip somewhere else. And so as I look at just like all that God is doing, I was sitting there and I was like, man, this is worth celebrating right here. Like it's worth talking about. Commit to it. Commit to that clap. Thank you. And it's awesome. So at the end of the day, when you're like, man, what, is, what, is it, what do churches do with funds? You know, why do people invite to tithe? One, it is biblical, but two, because the Lord uses his resources to do incredible things. And that's just three churches. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for them, uh, for Sacred City, for Living Hope, for us. Uh, and then we'll dive into 1 Corinthians 4. And it's going to be uh, awesome. God in heaven, thank you so much. Um, man, that you're sovereign. Like everything that we just sing about. God, do you you are our firm foundation. And when we sing songs like that, like if we're honest before you, Lord, we don't always believe that. And so sometimes we're just being invited to sing truths because they are in fact true, even though we're in a little bit of disbelief. And so God, I pray for areas of our lives even in light of that. Now, be our firm foundation today, God. Give us excitement. Give us zeal, passion. Let us see the ways that you're moving and working, like not just at Heights, like you you blow the roof off of Heights community. Thank you. But also like in the Quad Cities and in Belleville and soon to be, Lord, oh, we just pray a blessing. Fairmont City as we get to send out another church planter to Fairmont City. God, we pray that we would do all these things with a posture that says Jesus is our foundation and he's the one that is making disciples and it's his spirit that blows as the wind blows and he brings people to faith and he plans churches, God. We're just thankful for your work. Thankful, thankful for your generosity in Christ, God, that you did not hold back. May we never hoard our resources, whether it be people or finances or time or building or whatever it is. God, we, God, it just belongs to you. Keep us with that posture and that demeanor. As it comes now to the sermon, Lord, I pray that your word, I pray that it would cut us deep. As we learn in Hebrew, sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting through bone and marrow, Father, expose us. As we read your word, may it read us. As we open your word, Lord, may it open us. As we get into what it means, the difference between being judgmental and accountable, accountable, Lord, hold us accountable today. Reveal sin to us. Allow your spirit to come in, minister to us, remind us of the gospel and our need for you. A dangerous prayer we're praying right now, God, uh, but we need it. So God's people said, amen and amen. I'm excited to get into um, uh, the text this week. 1 Corinthians 4 has just blown my whole world up. I said a few weeks ago, the gospel blows a hole in your soul. It's one of the things that it does. And I felt that. This week, And so we're looking at the question here in Corinth Q&A. The question is, uh, what's the difference between being judgmental and holding someone accountable? What is the difference between being all judgy and accountability, you could say? And the reality is, like, we love being judgmental. If we can just be honest with ourselves this morning, we love being judgmental. I want you to you think, oh no, man, I'm at church, so I don't want to be judged. Well, uh, pull up a seat, okay? You're in a room with a bunch of hypocrites right now. Think about shows like American Idol from back in the day and somehow still have life in them. Simon Cowell made his debut off what? Off being judgmental, right? Remember back in college, for those of you that were in college and grade school, those of you that were in grade school. But like, the, the way he made his debut was by just straight verbally abusing people on stage, and we say that in here, and we're like, I don't know, but the reality is we sat there in Washington, American, Iowa as a church family, and we we're just eating popcorn watching it. You think about things like America's got talent, right, and he's still doing the same thing that he's always done, and people find a great deal of humor in it, don't they? We just entered into the political season. Dare I even mention how the professed church of God is going to respond in social media with everything but speaking truth in love, You want to see someone judgmental, just hop on your Facebook today and pull up some candidates, yes? We love to be judgmental. We love to critique. We love to put someone on the chopping block, and we love the invitation, right? I went to go to urgent care for an ear infection. They're like, we want you to rate your visit. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? Let me tell them about it. I had a great experience. I was at Wally's gas station two weeks ago in Missouri. Anybody love Wally's? Wally's or Bucky's? Where are we at? Wally's, that's right. Tell Mark Hanna that. He's from Texas. We're at Wally's, and Wally's is like, rate your bathroom experience. And I'm like, come on, bro. I couldn't wait for that opportunity. They have a faucet and soap and a blower all in the same sink. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable reality. And I could not wait to rate my experience. We love being judgmental. We love to critique. We literally love to put someone on that <laughs> on that chopping block right we love the reality of like our eyes being fixed on everyone else oh but ourselves yeah and then what happens whenever someone else's eyes are placed upon you well now what happens how do you respond in that moment and so my wife uh, Andrea and I got into a, an argument this week at the new Starbucks that just they just opened and we wanted to argue. I said in the first service, we wanted to argue like we were in Collinsville, but we kept it real Edwardsville in there. You know, it was just low tones and passive aggressive in this place, talking to one another. <laughs> People were still looking at us, but we were in there. We're a normal family, you know. And get into an argument with my wife, you know, and and, and she said something like all she did was question my motive on something. She didn't say I was in sin. She wasn't trying to hold me accountable. She was literally just inviting a conversation where I would question my intentionality and I get immediately defensive. I get immediately like all up in my feels in that moment. Anybody else turn in defensiveness when your spouse calls you on something they need to call you out on? Yeah. If anyone gets to do it, it should be them. Yeah? Because she knows me. Like she like knows me, knows me. She knows me all the mess that I am in every way that I am. She's seen me at my absolute best church and she has seen me at my absolute worst. She knows what I am capable of. Anybody gets to call me out, it is her. And yet whenever her eyes were on me, and she simply just called me to consider something. I turned in defensiveness and frustration. Why is that? Well, because my eyes were no longer the ones that were judging everyone else. But instead, in that moment, I was under the microscope. Why do we get defensive? If you're taking notes, this might be worth writing down. We get defensive when someone sees us because it's in that moment that all that we have aimed to portray becomes exposed. Think about it. Like we get defensive whenever someone looks at us, kind of calls us out, calls us to question our motive because it's in that moment that the facade that we've put in front of ourselves, the wall that we've built up between us and whoever it is across the table from us, it's in that moment that that facade is simply ripped away and we're seen perhaps in that moment for who we actually are, especially apart from Christ. And so the difference then between what is, Accountability and what is judgment is really the posture and the heart behind the critique, right? Because what my wife meant for me as good accountability, I perceived as harsh judgment. And all she did was ask me a question. And so, what is the heart behind the critique? What is the motivation behind the critique? Where does the judgment? Where does this come from? Where does the accountability come from? And so, I wrote down yesterday: uh, judgment will not always keep you accountable. Judgment will not always keep you accountable. But good accountability will always keep you from judgment. Judgment, then, is a matter of opinion, not a matter of truth. Judgment does not bother with truth, even if someone says it's in the name of truth. Because in the moment that they come in being all judgy, what they're doing is they're not considering the truth of how the God in heaven might actually be viewing them as they go to engage in that conversation. Being judgmental then is very one-sided. It's about an opinion. It's about what do my eyes see whenever I look upon you? But man, accountability is quite the difference. It's quite the opposite. Accountability says, no, I want to have all of truth in mind. And, not, and by all of truth, what I mean is like, how does the Father in heaven in Christ Jesus see me? And now let me enter into this conversation. Right? It's not a matter of opinion anymore. It is a matter of truth. It is no longer one-sided. It is multifaceted. How does the Father see me in Christ Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit revealing about me before Christ Jesus? Now let me pull up a chair and say, hey, brother, sister, we need to have a conversation. You and I aren't so different here. Turns out we both need Jesus, but here's a way that you're walking apart from the gospel. Here's a way that you're walking in some disbelief. It is not a matter of opinion it is not accountability it's not a matter of opinion it's not just one-sided man it is about getting to the truth that is good true genuine accountability that begins with how does God see me first and now let me respond to you are we together on that the big idea then for today is this accountability is a matter of truth not opinion that's the simplest way I know how to word it I'll try to loop it back through that over and over again for you Accountability is a matter of truth, uh, not opinion. The way that we're gonna answer the question, what is the difference between being judgmental and accountability is by the way Paul uh, responds to Corinth today in 1 Corinthians 4. Three points for you. Accountability requires you to do a few things. Accountability requires you to know your identity, church. Know your identity in Christ, both to receive and to give good accountability. Accountability requires you to have a humble confidence. You've seen the T-shirt "Humble Beast" on it. That's what our next height shirts are going to be. You know. Have a humble confidence, and ultimately accountability requires you then to rely on Jesus. If someone's accountability doesn't re- lead you to the throne room of grace, it ain't accountability anymore. They're just trying to be the judge. Are we together? You guys ready? Say ready. ready. All right. Let's start with the first one. I'm going to need you to talk to me. Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. Know your identity. Number one, point one, know your identity. Here we go. First Corinthians 4, verse one. If you're new to Heights, nothing special about us. We just preach straight through books of the Bible. So that's what we're gonna do. 1 Corinthians 4, verse one. Paul says, this is how one should regard us. Now he's talking about uh, the leaders there that have already been addressed in 1 Corinthians. We'll talk about them in a minute. This is how one should regard us as leaders, as servants of Christ. Somebody say Servants. And as stewards, somebody say, stewards. stewards. Okay, so he says, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. I got to preach on that two weeks ago of the gospel, verse 2. Uh, Moreover, even more so, you could say, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And he's saying, not, not only should you regard us as servants and regard us as stewards, but the masters entrusted us with some things as servants and stewards. And you need to look at our faithfulness are we being faithful with what god has given us and so the apostle paul here is addressing the popularity contest that has taken place in the church of corinth not just in the culture but in the actual church of corinth herself and already we've read the letter where paul has addressed some of the leaders that were there and some of the people were kind of rallying around these leaders if you remember with me and they said i follow apollos and i follow peter or i follow paul and one of them was like no i follow jesus right like well now what are we we gonna say about that you know Trump card there. Paul is still addressing this judgment that has come upon him. And so, if you can remember then about the culture, this era here that Paul is in was, man, ridden with these great debaters of the time, some of which we still quote and these great debaters would go out in the kind of the the public courts and go out into like the city square and they would be these great orators and they would come with this new and fresh wisdom and what they would want to do is they want to rally people around them and kind of get crowds to come to them and Paul comes in and he's like I'm not going to do that if you remember the sermon I taught two weeks ago Paul came in with he said I'm not coming with lofty speech I'm not coming in here with new special wisdom, but rather I'm coming in here with a demonstration of power by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how did he get that demonstration of power? He came in with the simplicity of the gospel. He said, no, I'm coming in humble. I'm coming in shuddering underneath the weight of who God is. I'm not coming in with this big persona about me in a public sphere, but rather I'm coming into you submissively and in humility before Christ, right? It was the power of the gospel that led Paul to this shudder before the Lord. He said, no, I'm not coming in the same way that other people are coming in. The church of Corinth though, that's what they wanted. Like they wanted this great orator of the faith. They wanted this great orator, not to build up King Jesus, but so that they would build up the church. Oh, that's the leader that goes to your church. That's the great order that goes to your church. Man, that guy can put on a show. And so in a culture that literally prioritized literal gladiators during their time, they were looking for this kind of verbal gladiator to come in and win these verbal debates uh, for them, but not for Jesus. Are we together on that? And so instead of getting <laughs> the Paul that was once tyrannical, persecuting the church, they get this Paul that is meek, this Paul that is gentle. He's come in with this gospel. In chapter 9 now, he's going to light them up a little bit, but today he comes in with the meekness of the gospel, and he's saying, hey, you think too highly of your leaders. You've put them in a position of power they ought not be put in. you put them into a position of idolatry, as a matter of fact, and I got to thinking about that this week, and the reality is this. There's no such thing as a celebrity pastor. That's an oxymoron, church family, right? little word of, okay, off note here for you, little word of advice. You see a pastor's face on a book, don't buy the book for the most part, okay? If it's a good book, it is rare that it's a good book if his face is on the book or her face is on the book. There is no such thing as celebrity pastor. But our Western culture sprinkled with a little bit of sin kind of leaves pastors filling themselves a little too much out there don't they do not exalt your leaders to a place of idolatry I think this is worth noting in our church because we have a lot of folks that have come in from different churches where you had pastors and leaders that were unreachable I had a a woman come up to one of our staff uh, last week and the staff came and talked to me she said this woman came in and could not believe that you helped uh, walk her kids and her to the kids area My first thought was, it's like 35 feet, bro. Like, it ain't that big a deal, you know? My second thought was, oh, man, like, where'd she come from? Like, that was the environment where she was put in a position where her pastors were unreachable. Dude, shepherds should smell like the sheep. We should kind of stink a little bit, yeah? Never exalt your leaders to a place of idolatry, right? On one hand, I'm thankful for that comment, just to be clear. But on the other hand, my heart does break for that situation. The only pastor we're going to exalt in this house is Jesus. And so you have Paul here, and Paul's not this, he's not a random pastor. Uh, he's not a random leader either. Paul's an apostle. And I understand that's not language that we use a lot, but the reality is Paul's a, an apostle. What that means is that he's an OG church father, that everything that we have now as a church man is partially because of Paul. The letter that we're reading, it's because of Paul starting this church. And as an apostle, Paul could have came in and made demands. He could have come in and said, hey, here's what you're going to do, and here's what I'm going to do. And he could have kind of blown it up like that and said, no, I'm your church father here. You're going to respond to me. You're going to do what I tell you to do. Paul also, as an apostle, deserves an accolade. Like he deserves some praise. He doesn't deserve worship, but as an apostle, he's a, it's okay for him to be exalted just a little bit above everyone else. In a sense, I mean, right? Not not in totality, but in a sense. Like this is Paul who wrote Bible. This is Paul who his shadow whenever it fell upon people, they were literally healed. This is Paul who cast out demon. Paul, this ultimate kind of missionary that planted churches after church after church after church that we're still singing about and reading about and preaching on. That are still the the power of the Spirit is still using his work now for the edification of the saints. So Paul is an apostle. He's kind of worth some notoriety. And at the same time, what Paul does not do is go fire up a TikTok for some recognition. What he does instead is he says, you want to know how to regard me? You want to know how to regard us as leaders? Treat us as servants and treat us as stewards. That's how you can look at us. He doesn't go out to make a name for himself, but rather he humbles himself even more. He says, regard us, that's Paul and Apollos and Peter, as servants and as stewards, which is why I had you say it to me. He's saying, don't look at our external features. Don't look at the crowd that we're gathering or not gathering. Don't worry so much about the way that our message is being proclaimed, but rather listen to the contents of our message. Is the gospel taking root in you? Is Jesus being exalted? Is God the Father being held in glory? Oh, is the kingdom of God advancing? Like, look at that. Are we being faithful with what the Lord has given us? Are we being faithful with what the Master has given us? And if you can say yes to that, then amen. But anything short of that, they just not want to be a part of. And so as I got into this, like, servants and uh, stewards, you guys know I'm kind of like a nerd and... Don't laugh. Don't laugh that loud. <laughs> kind of a nerd. I'm not going to nerd out too bad, but I did get into some language here. I won't share all of it, but I do want to share this because I think this is helpful in our understanding the context here. And using the word servant uh, there in the Greek original, Paul actually uses the word for a rower, like a boat rower. And so the, the importance there, like what does this have to do with anything? A, a boat rower for their time was the lowest tier that you could have in the fleet, right? The boat rower, if you think of just think about a wooden boat with me, if you can. The bottom tier, there, there's you know, oars sticking out the side of the boat. The rowers were the ones in the bottom, man. They're sweating, they're hot, it's foul down there, and they're literally doing all the work and getting none of the recognition. And Paul says, You want to know how to regard us? You regard me as a rower. For Corinthians, he came into Corinthians. Who did they want? Did they want the rower? No. They wanted the captain. They wanted the owner of the ship. They wanted kind of the prestige and the power of what it would take to be able to master and have this kind of a ship. And Paul says, no, 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 look down a little bit lower and a little bit lower and just a little bit lower down there. That's me. That's how you can regard me. He also then secondly uses the word steward, which in the original there, in the Greek original is that of a house manager. And so Corinth would have come in, right? They would have wanted kind of the head of the estate or the patriarch or the father himself to show up. And Paul comes and says, no, 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 I'm just a house manager. I'm the chief slave among slaves. I don't own anything. Anything that's been given to me has simply been given to me for me to be able to steward it for you steward it for the Lord, for the advancement of the gospel, to push back darkness, man, so the mission of God may advance. Every single thing he was given, he says, I only have for your betterment to the glory of God. I'm literally no one. You want the Father? I'm not him. I'm the chief slave among slaves. And so he comes in, I mean, just vastly different worldview than what Corinth would have wanted. You know, we have this saying around here, we say we are owners of nothing, but we are stewards of everything. This is the posture that Paul has. And so Paul has all the right in the world to receive honor, for people to pay homage, to be exalted in some capacity. I mean, and he says, no, 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 That's not me. You want the captain? I'm just rowing the boat. And it's enough. And you want power? You want prestige? You want the owner of the estate? No, I'm the chief slave among slaves. And you better believe that also is enough. Why? Because the Father himself has given me a place in the kingdom and He is content in what he has. What's the point? Church family, know your identity in Christ. Know your identity in Christ. Lest we think higher of ourselves than we ought to. We are but servants and we are but stewards. And I pray that the Spirit would lead you to believe today that that's enough. That's what we're called to do. Not to be exalted, not to be placed upon and over someone else, but rather just to come in and say, man, all that I have, I only have because Jesus Christ has given it to me. God, how do you want me to use it? I remember whenever I came to faith, one of the first scriptures that someone said to me was out of Psalm 84. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tent of the wicked. I remember what it's like in that tent, dude. I would much rather just hold the door open than be back in the tent. So Paul is saying here. He's saying, no, like, this is who I am. The difference between being judgmental and holding someone accountable is seen in the way that Corinth has come into this apostle. And so Corinth has come in, and they're not listening to the content of the message. They're just listening to the message. Is he attracting a crowd? Is he funny? Is he witty? Is he this? Is he that? They did not appreciate Paul because of the delivery of his message. They didn't appreciate Paul because of the way he spoke. They didn't even appreciate Paul because of the way that he dressed or the way that he looked. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, we see the heart behind, uh, further behind what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 10.10. It says this. It says, For they, that's the church of Corinth, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. That's like you coming to me and be like, "I really liked your text message, but your sermon kind of sucked and you put on a few lbs there, pastor." You know like You know what I'm saying? Right? His letter is strong, but his bodily presence is weak and of no account. What is that? That's judgmental. That's a matter of opinion. That's not a matter of truth, is it? It's very one-sided. It only takes opinion into account. It does not take truth into account. The big idea is accountability is a matter of truth and not opinion. And so the reality here is we have to question in ourselves is whenever all eyes are on you, are you rooted in Christ in your identity? Right? Because if we're rooted in Christ and someone calls us out on something, the, the, the position that we can take then, if we're truly founded in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is like, that's what you got for me? Pfft. This is me believing the gospel right now. Are you serious? That's all you got? You should see me on days when I don't believe the gospel. Oh, I'm far worse than whatever you just dreamt up in your mind. And you're just talking about my external sin. We haven't even talked about the motivations of my heart yet. I'll tell you something. One, the only thing more dangerous than your pastor's sin are the motivations that drive that sin. They are dark and nasty. It's true for me. It's also true for you. And so what's the difference between accountability and judgment? It's coming in with truth and it's saying, is Jesus your standard or is some other worldly nonsense your standard? Right? When's the last time you stood in the bathroom mirror and compared yourself, I don't know, to Jesus? Because in that moment you're going to go, I don't actually have it all put together, do I? I'm actually far worse than what anyone could ever say about me when you're standing next to perfection. Perfection. Accountability is standing next to Jesus and allowing his eyes to look at you and pierce you and read into you and expose you for who you are so that you come to a place that whenever someone calls you out on something, you're like, thank you. I don't look like Christ in that way. I appreciate the feedback. You know, what are some things maybe the word might lead us to do so that I might look a little bit differently today, right? There's a reality there where accountability has about truth, but not just truth for someone else. It's how does Jesus himself see me? And now let's have a conversation. You see how that's going to begin to shift judgment into accountability? Is Jesus our standard? If our identity is servant and steward, then... We should welcome the critique of a brother and sister, yeah? Judge, Matthew 7, let me hit this real quick. I got ahead of myself. Matthew 7 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's a fearful text, yes? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, uh, but you not notice that you have a tree coming out of your own forehead, I think is what it says. But you do not notice the log that is in your own eye, right? He's like, You're over here talking about some sawdust. You got a redwood just swiping people, right? Whole lumber yard coming out of your face right now. Why don't we talk about that? Right? What good judgment, good not sorry, good judgment, good accountability requires that we do some self-assessment and we look at how does God see me, what is God calling out of me in Christ. And now let's engage in a conversation. That changes everything. Accountability then secondly requires you to have a humble confidence. Ooh, we got to get done. Accountability requires you to have a humble confidence. I love this text. Verse 3. Uh, but with me, but with me it is a very small thing <laughs> that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I feel that. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't necessarily feel that. For I'm not aware of anything against myself uh, but I am not thereby acquitted. I'm not thereby guiltless or free. It is the Lord uh, who judges me. I love this text. I just resonate with this text so much. Paul says here, right, it's not even on my radar <laughs> what you have to say about me. Like I'm not even taking it into consideration because it's not a, a matter that pertains to the gospel. It's not a matter that pertains to holiness. It's not something that's rooted in God's word. We're just talking about worldly appearances and you don't like my ki- the way that I i articulating something as a speaker. He said, I'm not concerned about that at all when it comes to standing in front of a judge or in front of a court. What he's really making mention there is that these great orators would go out in kind of the city squares I mentioned earlier and they would be these great debaters and they would literally be judged by the people. And he's looking at them and saying, I don't care anything about that. I don't care what they have to say about me. And so there's a reality where there is a humble confidence that comes to us whenever we're believing our identity is rooted in Christ, Right? Whenever we come in and we say, no, like, I'm just a servant. I'm just a steward. There's a humble confidence that comes from that. There is a, first a confidence that comes that says, I'm so much worse than you could ever call me. Sinners saved by grace is my story. You have no idea what I'm capable of. I'm far more worse than you could ever imagine. So much so that the king of kings was willing to die for me. That's how bad I was. You come at me on your work, come at me on my worst day. I'm still worse than that. And you caught me on a good day today. If only you knew me outside of my relationship with Jesus. yeah. There's a confidence that comes from saying, man, Christ Jesus has seen me and he knows me. Like warts and all knows me and has accepted me. And so there's a level of confidence that comes when your identity is rooted in Christ Jesus that you will never find in the world. That keeps telling you to exalt yourself, to judge yourself kind of based off your own truth and based off your own demeanor. That's kind of what postmodernism is gonna do for you, right? Kind of this new age thought is like, no, you deserve it, you do you, you do be your best self, buy another self-help book. Well, all you're doing then is being forced to judge yourself based off your own opinion. The problem is you can't trust your own opinions, they change daily, don't they? And so there's a confidence that comes from the stability of Christ that's been given to us. At the same time, then, there is a humility. Verse 4, he says, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but, church, I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And so there is a confidence, yes and amen, but there's also a humility that comes and says, while I don't care what you think about me, I do most certainly care what Jesus thinks about me. And while he has set me free from sin, I still struggle with sin. While I have been set free from ultimate judgment, oh, he's still going to judge me and hold me accountable. And thank you, Jesus, for it. And so you need to hear the word of warning here in the text. Just because your conscience is clear does not mean that you are sinless. Just because you don't feel bad about your sin anymore does not mean that you are acquitted or guiltless. There's a lot of prisoners in prison that didn't feel bad about their crime, and they are very much guilty. I lived with one for a few years there, didn't I? So having a clear conscience or lacking conviction does not make you innocent. I want to be clear on this here. Right, we have some different folks in the room. We have a plethora of sin that exists in this room, and just because you become calloused to your sin does not mean that you're guiltless. It just means that you've become calloused to the beauty of the grace of the gospel that's been given to you. That you stop looking at the cross of Christ. You stop depending upon the Spirit. The reality is for those who are judgmental, the difference between accountability and judgment, folks who find themselves constantly judging others are only judging people because they think folks can only see their external demeanor can only see their external actions, can only see what's happening on the outside of their body, but there is a King Jesus who knows the motivations of your heart, the text says, right? There's a very real Holy Spirit that will discern your heart. And so just because someone can't see you in sin does not mean that you're not in sin. Hear the warning, the warning of the text right here, right? Just because you aren't being exposed does not mean that you are innocent. I wrote down some things just this morning, thinking you deserve more, for example, and this is, I'm included in here thinking you deserve more, entitlement, jealousy, coveting, white lies, watching porn in isolation, lusting after people at the gym, being ridden with debt, habitual anger, frustration with your family. For some of y'all, that's just Tuesday, right? We can keep going, can't we? There's all these things, man, that that we think people can't see in us, but we most certainly, they're going to see in us one way or another. And even if it never comes to fruition for them, there is a very real Jesus that will expose the motivations of our hearts. So just because someone cannot see your sin does not mean you're sinless. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, I don't necessarily see anything going on in me right now, but the Lord is the one who will judge me. It's important that we continue to camp out here because there's a lot of folks, man, in the church whose primary spiritual discipline is complacency. They have grown complacent with the Word of God. And they've grown complacent with prayer. And they've grown complacent with pursuing what we call missional community. And they've grown complacent in what we would call good Christian gospel-centered accountability. And so they're walking around claiming Christ, but there's nothing in their life that looks like Christ. Even though they might have all the actions. As I think Jeff said earlier, there's kind of a fragrant of Jesus, but he is not perhaps there. And so the moment we take our eyes off of the truth, the moment we stop engaging prayer for truly being in prayer, the moment we run from community for the sake of not being in community because we don't want to be held accountable, it's in those moments, church, that we are at our worst. It actually reveals, not that we have everything together, it actually reveals our depravity. Like, why would you run from the very gifts that God has given you? I'll tell you why. Because you don't want his eyes on you. You don't want to be seen. And in so doing, then, this wall gets built up between you and everyone else that has been, you know, trying to engage you. And you throw out this judgmental comment or this judgmental comment. You kind of self-exalt yourself to a place of idolatry. And what happens in that moment, stay with me, what happens here is you build this wall of judgment around you. Not only do you isolate everyone else from around you, but what happens when you open your eyes is you realize all you did was form a cell for yourself. You've come under your own judgment in that moment. You know people like this in your lives, perhaps some of you in the room. you right, it is a lack of being in the Word, a disregard for the Word, disregard for prayer and community. To be clear, none of those things save you. Jesus is the only one that saves you. We'll get to the gospel in a minute. I'm just saying, here's what happens when we abstain and we turn in complacency. We lose our humble confidence, judgment, the difference between Judgment and accountability is judgment is all confidence and no humility. It is very one-sided. It is very opinionated, and it leaves you all alone and afraid, wondering where does anyone actually see me. But the gospel, man, it gives us this beautiful, humble confidence where we get to come before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and his total perfection. And listen, he just accepts us for who we are. supposed to wait till the end to share the gospel with you, you know? But I'm not going to. I'm going to cheat. <laughs> Just think about this for a second. I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it now. When you're, if you're sitting in the room, and you're like, how, why would I ever pursue this Jesus? Listen to me. Jesus did die for sin. Yes and amen. Praise the Lord. But do you know that Jesus became sin when he went to the cross? Like he literally becomes, in the moment of the cross now, everything that you pretend you're not Jesus becomes when he goes to the cross and that's the heart of the gospel right while we're standing out here in judgment kind of ridden under our own confidence barricading ourselves in cornering ourselves in there's a very real Jesus that that looks upon you and his eyes listen here are the only eyes that matter and whenever he looks upon us like he sees us like exposed for who we are He sees the motivations of our heart. He sees the foulness of our heart. He sees the corrupt thoughts that we have. He sees the the role plays we have when someone cuts us off in traffic. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, he sees all of that. He sees, like, the heart and the disposition behind why you're so vulgar to your wife or why you're so disrespectful to your husband or why you objectify someone in the gym. Like, he sees all of that. You understand? And not only does he see all of that, because his eyes are the only eyes that matter, but he literally, in going to the cross, he who knew no sin, becomes sin. He becomes not just like the physical effects of sin, but the non-seen intentional motivations of sin that lie way beneath the surface. That's what he becomes when he goes to the cross. Right? And in so doing, right, he's the one that gets to look at us, right, for who we are, like, right as we are, in spite of who we are, one could even say. And he says, I know you, and I see you, and I have become all of the judgment that you could ever give to anyone else. Everything that you're fearful of someone seeing in you, I'll become for you. All of the innocence that you wish you had, I'm going to give that to you, but not before I become judged as you were judged. That's the gospel, And it's beautiful and it's incredible. And whenever professed Christians try to act like they have all their stuff together and build up this stupid facade in front of them, what it tells the world out there is you gotta be perfect to be loved. And that's not the gospel. Right? When you act like you don't need Jesus and you don't confess where you're actually at, your heart will actually become calloused to the good news of the gospel. You become callous to grace and you become callous to mercy. And you, therefore, you're not going to deal it out to anyone else. I have a buddy that says, Christians are good dealers, but they're bad users. Let that take that in. Y'all know I got a pass with drugs, right? So, Good dealers, but bad users, right? And so it's, it's our like, beautiful responsibility. We get to come in. This is what it looks like to be a missional community and say, hey, we don't have it all together, and you're welcome here. Now, God loves you as much, loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And there's going to be some change that comes in that. That is good gospel-centered accountability. Judgment says, look at me. My eyes matter. What I do matters. And now I'm going to look down my nose at you in the name of truth. And I'm going to begin to barricade you in in the same way I've been barricaded in. But Jesus did not die and resurrect for us to experience a jail cell. But rather so we'd experience the freedom of the gospel. Amen. That was free. Point three is this. Rely on Jesus. Well, I think I, I think I did this one just now. <laughs> Rely on Jesus. Need I say more? I feel like we could just take communion, yeah? I'm going to read the last few verses here. Therefore, uh, verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Paul's saying, don't, don't judge someone on their salvation. You don't know. Like, you're not the ghost. What do you know? Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And he will disclose the purposes of the heart. So not just physical sin, but the motivations of that. Uh, Then each one of you will receive his commendation or his reward, which is Christ, by the way, from God. Uh, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, not to judge anyone based off anything outside of the word of God, Uh, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, then why do you boast and act like you did not receive it? Or boast as if you did not receive it? Man, there's so much that we could focus on here in this last bit. I could be a sermon in and of itself. There's a few things that Paul says for us that I think are important. The first one is this, as it pertains to accountability and judgment. Hear me. Hear the word of the Lord. You are not the Holy Spirit. So don't judge someone on their salvation based off exterior works. You have no idea what something, what someone's going through or what someone has done. You don't know their story. Now, you may hold them accountable. What I mean by that is you may go into the Word of God allow it to open you up and discern your hearts and discern your motivations and then with the gospel in mind and how Jesus views you and sees you in mind, then you may engage in that conversation. Pull up a chair, brother and sister. There's something that I perceive in you that seems as if it's off. I'm reading the book here and you don't look like that. Let's talk about what that might look like. The second thing then that Paul says, is God will expose the motivations of the heart. And in that, what I would say is some of you in the room are just killing yourselves with legalism and religion, trying to act like something more than what Jesus has called you to be. As Paul has called the church not to exalt leaders, there are many in the room and in the church in general that have exalted exalted themselves to a place and to a posture of idolatry, trying to be equal to Jesus. But (laughs) that's evidence that you need Jesus, as a matter of fact. And so allow him today to break down that wall, that facade, that whatever it is you think that you're putting up where you have to present yourself as perfect, Jesus died for your imperfections. So just simply believe the gospel this morning. The last thing he says there is this, you didn't earn this thing. Like don't act like you got some reward because you earned it, right? That's anti-gospel. That's the opposite of everything that we believe. We don't believe anyone can earn their salvation or Do enough or get enough gold stars or be impressive enough that God finally looks on you and says, oh my gosh, I would have never been able to do it like you did. I'm going to save you now. But rather, we come in and we say, I have nothing to bring to the table. All I bring is my filthy rags on my best day and on my worst day. And the father looks at us through his son and he says, oh, but I have everything to bring to the table for you. And his name is Jesus. And his eyes are the only eyes that matter. And everything that you spend your life, I just said a moment ago, everything you spend your life trying to hide from everyone else, he become for you to set you free. There is now no more slavery to sin, but there is a freedom that comes in Christ Jesus. Will we fail? Yes and amen. Oh, but we can fall into the arms of a father, yeah? Why don't you stand with me? Let me take you to communion here. And true accountability is, in fact, about truth and and not about opinion and so in case you've missed the gospel as we go into a time of reflection through communion let me share it with you I mean the beautiful thing of the gospel is is literally that Jesus did become everything you're fearful of becoming that's that's true but even more specifically as it relates to the text today it's not just that Jesus died but the servant that Paul says he is Jesus who quite literally is the master of all things he becomes a servant lowers himself Down into the posture of humanity, fully God, fully man. Simultaneously, He is the perfect steward. He is the resource that God has given to humanity so that salvation can come, so we can profess faith in this Jesus. We can let down our guard and let go of our facade and look at Him in perfection and go, I can never accomplish that. And He goes, I know. That's why I came. I am the steward, and the resource is me. And whenever Jesus goes to the cross, he does die for all of our imperfections. And I love that he does go to the cross and he goes with a humble confidence. Think about it. In a great deal of humility, he goes because his father told him to. And in a great deal of confidence, he goes to the cross saying, this is the only way folks are gonna come into faith. This is the only way you're gonna have relationship with me is by professing faith in me. And then he gives us these beautiful elements like scripture and prayer and community, worship gathering, great team up here to lead us and he also gives us communion so that we can confess as Christians and we can repent as Christians and we can come forward and we can feast and we can be reminded of his goodness. And so when you come forward here in a moment, it's not just taking communion. It's not a religious event. It's a redemptive event. It leads you to rely deeper on Jesus, reminds you that you're not him, but that you can have relationship with him. And so when you come forward, you'll see the bread, which represents Christ's body, is broken for you in your place as your substitute so you don't have to verbally kill yourself when you're failing. And you also see the cup, which represents Christ's blood and his sacrifice as he was the one sacrificed in your place so that you don't have to be. He took the death that you deserve so you could be given life eternal. And who else will do that for us? And so maybe if you're in the room and you've not yet professed faith in this Jesus or you're just here checking it out, let me encourage you to take a moment with him. If you talk to him, I guarantee the spirit will talk back to you. And perhaps today might be the first day you get to take communion. Maybe today's the first day you get to take communion, truly confessing and repenting who God is. Uh, For those of you that are saints, that are in Christ, let me invite you to come forward when you're ready.